great to be together. You may be seated today. Well, we are so grateful today to have Steve Matthews with us. Come on, let's welcome Steve. And you know what? Steve really doesn't need any introduction. He's been to us lots of times now. But one of the things that I love about Steve is that he doesn't come just to preach a message and get an applause from us. He comes, as what, what Paul said, like a wise master builder to build church. And Steve, you know, we know Steve, he really does love the local church. And it's wonderful to have a gift like this today. Listen intently, open your heart, because I really do believe that Steve is really going to speak into the heart of this house today. And also, you know, just listen and be aware because I really do believe that he's going to bring direction for us. I'm just opening myself wide. I'm telling you, I'm ready with my notes because I want direction. I want guidance. I want instruction from a man that's got wisdom on how to build God's house. So let's open our hearts. Let's be aware and attentive to the Holy Spirit as Steve speaks this morning. And let's be blessed by God's Word. Come on, let's thank God for Steve as he comes to bless us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Great to be back again. It's always lovely to be welcomed back. Dave's right, I do love the local church because I'm absolutely convinced that thriving local churches are the answer to the needs of the world. <clears throat> I know Jesus is. He's the answer, but he organizes us into local expressions of his body, his life in action. And, and you're it here, aren't you? You're it. And you're doing all you can. You've got programs and you've got activities and you're sharing your faith and you're doing all that stuff. And uh, it's just my privilege to be able to come and encourage you on that journey. And I, I do believe God's given me something to share with you. I want to share a few thoughts with you today that I've not shared in this format before. So I'm just trusting that this tumbles out in the way that Jesus wants it to tumble out this morning. Before I get to that, uh, there's a table at the back with some of the books and resources that I have on. I just want to mention one um, because it's uh, a new one. It's called Pray and Build. This is a 40-day devotional. And it picks up my essential thought that we get really busy doing church. And if we're not careful, we get lost in the activity. There's an awful lot of time and energy goes into doing church well. All these guys that they're up here earlier, they've been, they've rehearsed, they've learned the songs. Um, you know, there's thought gone into the order of events just for today. You saw on the, on the news, you know, there's going to be a, a welcome to church party. Well, that's, people are getting busy organizing that. There's connect groups this week. People are getting busy organizing that. You've given money for activities. There's Jesus Cares going on. It's busy, 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 busy. And we have to be just careful that in the busyness, we don't lose Jesus. And one of the ways we don't lose Jesus is we pray. So that as we build, we pray. Everything we do practically, we pull God into it. We bathe it with prayer. And this is simply to help you do that, but to focus your prayer very specifically into your local church. So this little guy, it demands that you write some stuff down. He says, well, what's your local church family? 
And who are your youth leaders? Let's pray for them. Okay, well, who are your community outreach workers? Write the names down. Now pray for them. And it forces you to engage with your local church and actually pray alongside the practical building so we keep it all in the right balance. So I commend that one to you. I'm very pleased with the way that's come out. I was reading um, Acts of the Apostles not too long ago. And you know how sometimes you read a book that you've read umpteen times before and you kind of just get a fresh thought? And as I was reading it, what jumped off the page at me was a couple of revelations about the church in Jerusalem, which was the first church after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and people started to respond to the message of Jesus I suddenly realized there's there's two things about that church that I like. The first one is, it was big. I mean, it was humongous. You've got 120 people, essentially, who get baptized in the Holy Spirit, anointed at Pentecost. And then suddenly, by the end of that day, potentially, there's 3,000 of them. And then it goes on to say that, the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved after that. So this was a big sucker. You know, this was a significant church for its population and its size. It made a splash. Hmm. And it got me thinking, how, how do we handle this issue of size? We all want big stuff. We'd like a big church. What does that mean? Is it just about having a big service? Is it, but really, it's about a big influence, a big impact. And I got thinking about largeness. And... <clears throat> Then I kept reading, and what jumped off the page at me in a fresh way was that the Jerusalem church we read about seemed to have all the elements that I wanted in my church. And as I read it, it was like, yes. And there's this amen springs up in your eye. You go, yes. Yes, Lord. And then the frustration builds up. Why haven't we got enough of that, Lord? Can't we have some more of that, Lord? Why can't I make that, you know, why can't our church be like that church? Let me show you what what I mean. In Acts 2.41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is where the, after Pentecost, 3,000 suddenly added to their number. And then Luke, who wrote this book, kind of takes half a step back and makes a quite general comment about what that 3,000 did. The next verse says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As I read that, I thought, all that stuff is what I want. I want people who are committed to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to prayer. I want, I want a congregation of people who are together, who are sharing and caring for one another, uh, appraising people who enjoy the favor of the community, where people are being saved day after day after day. <clears throat> then I just got more frustrated as I kept reading because when you get to chapter 4, 
There's, there's more similar statements. He says, all the believers were of one heart and mind. He says, God's grace was powerfully at work among them. Like, yes, Lord, I want your grace to be at work amongst my church. Uh, he says, day after day, they, they never stopped meeting from house to house and teaching and proclaiming the good news. The truth is, every single pastor, leader, Christian probably, ever since that day, has read that scripture and something in their heart has gone, Yes. Please, can we have some of that in Newport, Lord? <clears throat> and then the next question is, how? Because we all want it. We, we crave it. Um, it inspires us. But how do I build a church here in Newport that features all that stuff? That features love for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for breaking of bread and prayer, where there's awe and signs of wonders. Just in the stories and in the gossip, it's, hey, I understand so-and-so, the Lord healed so-and-so yesterday. Yeah, so-and-so got a breakthrough job. Yeah, God miraculously provided money. Just in the stories, there's this sense of, whoa, God's at work. That's the kind of church we want, isn't it? Where there's this oneness of heart and mind, unity, togetherness. If there's a need, then people are contributing and helping to, to serving that need. He says they met in the temple courts and from house to house. So they had big gatherings like this, and they got small gatherings like your connect groups. They were praising people. God's grace was flowing, and so I go on. Is it possible? Well, I think so. But maybe our problem is, as I reflected on it, is that we're a product of our social history and our church history. <clears throat> so we read the book. We read the Bible and go, yes, Lord. And then we have to acknowledge we're all a little bit influenced, a little bit messed up maybe, by our social history and our church history. We have baggage. We have experiences. We have things that's hurt us or upset us or damaged us. Or uh, Some people have even gone as far as saying, oh, I'm not going to bother with church anymore. Yeah. I'll just love Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church anymore because church is the problem. Church, you get hurt, people let you down, the hypocrites, they don't do what they say. And there's all these lost, drifting, hurting people, damaged, who could be part of this awesome community of God if they can get themselves sorted out and back on point. Our church history is part of our legacy, but our social history is too, because we now read that scripture. And we have 21st century issues with it. Because we kind of read it from now. How can we get that into here? I just wonder what this church could look like if we could break free of our social history and just be kingdom people rather than British or Welsh. Or whether we could be just, just kingdom people. Just live by God's word and ways without the social clutter. And if we could get over our church history, our baggage, our, our, our preoccupation with methodologies and the kind of hymns we sing or don't sing, the kind of music we sing or don't sing, the formats and structures. And if we could get away from all that and just say, if it was pristine like it was at the beginning, pure, undefiled, not cluttered up with all that baggage, I think we'd have a greater chance of getting to that point. You know, when, I, when I read about how they shared life, if there's 3,000 plus of them and they shared life in that way, my 21st century head says, 
hmm, they must have had a significant database to manage all that. <clears throat> wow, they must have had quite a few staff pastors. Because surely, you know, that takes some organizing, does a church like that. Um, you, you, I just, we've got modern questions in our head. Uh, you know, if they're going to have, man, 3,000 in connect groups, well, if it's 10 per group, that's 300 connect groups. Who's organizing that lot? Who's making sure that they all teach the same and they're all got the same life dynamic in them? And oh, oh, suddenly I've got a modern problem. Maybe because just I'm an idiot. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a flow of life that we've just got to release and let be. And yet it happened. Without apparently all our modern systems and so on. How? You see, the more you read the Bible as it relates to church and doing church, the more you realize God does not tell us how to do things. He doesn't tell us what to do. He just gives us guiding principles to kind of steer us along the way. <clears throat> he says things like, come on, guys, be a family. Come on, guys, be like a body that functions as one. Have one voice and, and one direction and one vision and... Come on, guys, be like a flock of sheep with a good shepherd and follow that good shepherd's voice. And he gives us pictures and he gives us the stories of the New Testament to inspire us. And from them, we pull guiding principles which have worked for over 2,000 years. The skill is we have to take those principles and apply them into our modern context. So as I was thinking all this stuff through, what I got to was this. I think maybe one of the most important guiding principles for the church in the New Testament is what we just read. Because what we just read was this. After these guys come to Christ, Acts 2.42 simply says, and they devoted themselves to. There is a principle that for church to work, for church to thrive, for church to succeed, people have to devote themselves. Now, because this is in my head, I've been kind of, I've had my ears open all the way through this service. There's been a lot of love in this room this morning. Not necessarily towards each other, but there's been a lot of love for Jesus. Did you hear what Dave said about the offering? He said, you know, the reason he tied was gratitude. That's devotion. That's love. It's thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're my source. Thank you that you've provided. It comes from a heart of devotion. See, the word devoted simply means to be strong towards. So if you're devoted to your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your football team, your devotion makes you put yourself in strongly. You don't just say... Yeah, I really love you. No, you do stuff to demonstrate your love, don't you? You don't want to say, yeah, I support this club. No, you, you get the scarf and the gear and the shirt and you go and you cheer your heart out and you, you argue with your friends about who's the best club. Once you get the girl or the guy of your dreams in your sights, you don't just profess love. No, you show it, you demonstrate it, you do things. You buy the chocolates and the roses and you go on dates and you, you don't impress them. Well, these people, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, 
to the fellowship, to prayer, to breaking of bread, and so it goes on. And I want to suggest to you this morning, the key to vibrant church, the key to thriving church, the guiding principle at the heart of it is the devotion of every believer. Not just the devotion of the leaders. Some of the baggage of church history that we've accumulated is that we rely on leaders to tell us what to do all the time. And to organize a great program for us. <clears throat> and to tell us what to do. But actually these early believers, it seems they didn't have any of that structure. But it took off because they devoted themselves. They took responsibility. I'm sure there's enough of them are still alive at this point who can remember that when they were with Jesus, Jesus said, follow me, and kept moving. And their responsibility was to keep their eye on Jesus and follow him. It was to actually keep their eye on him and to make sure they turned up at the right place at the right time. Because Jesus, was, he kept moving. But they loved him. They understood he was the Messiah. He was the world changer. And so they wanted to stay close to him. So they did devote themselves, which meant being willing to be a disciple, to follow, and to keep their devotion mobile. Now, some of the things that I've read in that passage, <clears throat> which I think are vital elements of the church I want to build, things like prayer, devotion to the Bible, fellowship, you know, togetherness, all those elements... I have to ask myself, what came first? The prayer or the prayer meeting? I would suggest to you, prayer came first. And then somebody decided to organize it. But people wanted to pray before there was a prayer meeting organized. Whereas, welcome to our churches today. Our church history legacy says that leaders say to churches, guys, we're going to have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Be there. You need to be there. Come on. Come and pray with us. Because the Bible says, so we all trudge along on Wednesday night faithfully because we don't want to let the pastor down. And, you know, it's, yeah, the Bible does say it, so I don't really want to pray. But I'll, And so you sit there on Wednesday night, born out of your brains, trying to work out whether you should pray or not pray. And it's a bit of a bumpy ride. The regular prayers, those who are devoted to prayer, who are praying anyway... Would have been praying whether there was a meeting organized or not. They're there. And they hog the floor. And they pray long prayers. And they're loving it. And it's like, yeah, come on, this is what it's all about. Because for them, prayer came before the prayer meeting. The rest of it is, mm, we're going to a meeting. No, to have a vibrant prayer meeting, you have to be a prayer first. You have to be devoted to prayer. And I would suggest it's the same for all these dynamics. Life always comes before structure. The best gift we give to a leadership team is our individual love for the church and for Jesus and for prayer and the word. You know, we, we can say, you know, I, I'm a teacher. I like to put Bible studies on and, and get people into the scriptures. And over the years, I've had some great attempts and some failed attempts. What I've worked out is the people that come first, that sign up first, are those who love the word. 
They love their Bible. They're reading it anyway, and they, they, they want to go in deeper. They want to un- unlock its secrets more fully. They've worked out that this is life to me. This word changes me. It's a lamp. It's a sword. It's bread to me. They're already devoted to the word. So when we put a Bible class on, they come to it. But when, is, when I've said, you know, guys, we started in this School of the Word series, or whatever we called it, um, Bill, I would love you all to come, because you all need to be reading your Bibles. Those who are already loving it go, yeah! All those who know they should be reading the Bible more, but are not, have not learned to love it yet. It's not caught fire in them somehow yet. They've not found that devotion for it. They go, oh. And they feel guilty because they're not reading it. And then they feel, well, maybe I should. Well, maybe I'll go along. See what I'm saying? <laughs> it's what comes first. I would suggest to you, life always comes first. And the guiding principle says that I have to personally love and put myself into my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with his church, and all the different settings and forums that I do. Show me a genuinely thriving, growing church. And at its core, you will find what I'm calling this morning, devotion in motion. It's your devotion in motion. Trouble with devotion is that so often it's stated but not acted on. Oh, I love this church. I love this. I love King's Church. Well, what are you doing then? Because devotion in motion is it's active. You know, if you, if you said to your wife, oh, I love you, darling, but then never did anything, she's going to slap you. You know, she's, <clears throat> she's going to quite quickly work out this is all empty words. doesn't mean anything. Come on, can we have some substance? Because devotion means you put yourself in. You put yourself in strongly. I did a little bit of a word study on the, the, that New Testament word where it says they devoted themselves. And it's a compound of two Greek words, pros and katero, which simply mean strong towards. It's got the word strong in it. Devotion is a strong thing, passionate thing. It's a love thing. It, it drives you. It moves you. It's not passive. It's not weak and wishy-washy and wimpy. No, It's strong. Your devotion to Jesus is strong. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, don't we? It's not, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm. No, it's not weak and wimpy. It's strong. It's bold. It's robust. Now, the kingdom of God advances with strength. Society is made as wimpy and wishy-washy. Church history is made as wimpy and wishy-washy. The you know, characterization of Christians has worked against us, but that's not the truth. The truth is that vibrant churches and strong believers are people who know what they love and why. And they're going after it with all their heart because Jesus has rescued me. Jesus has saved my soul. He's, the, the church is the leading edge of the advance of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so I'm going to devote myself to him first and then the things that he tells us to do. My devotion is going to get into motion. Now, <clears throat> I guess I'd have to ask the question, devotion to what? 
And, and if with the time we could go through those passages I read in Acts and show you how devotion to the Bible and to prayer and to fellowship and communion and meeting together and generosity and all those things are important. But what I also want to show you would be that all of them are actually just expressions of your devotion to Jesus. Your devotion to the Word is actually your devotion to the Word who was made flesh. Jesus is the fleshed out Word. Your devotion to prayer is your devotion to talking to God, talking to Jesus about everything, pulling Him into your day every moment of every day. Your, your devotion to fellowship is your devotion to His body, His people, your spiritual brothers and sisters. Jesus is the one who makes this whole thing work. And we could do that as a kind of a, a helpful study. But I want to get, just get a little bit more, a bit more practical and a little bit more personal with you. What about your devotion to this local church in particular? Because there's a sense in which all Christians will say, yeah, we have to be devoted to the Bible and to prayer and to fellowship. But as the lens gets focused, it comes down to, okay, well, where is your local church? Who are your people? Who do you live this Christian life with? And the lens gets focused, and it comes down to, is my devotion in motion here? Has it been expressed as part of this spiritual church family? Because your devotion to Jesus needs a set of values to focus around. And I think that set of values is the specific vision and mission and values of the local church that you attach yourself to. There are loads of churches out there, aren't there? You know, you can have liturgical ones. You can have swinging from the chandeliers ones. You can have very quiet, contemplative ones. You can have middle-of-the-road ones. <clears throat> There's all, all different expressions of church. And the differences are all to do with methodologies and choices. You know, we, some have chosen this morning to do worship like we've done it, with a band, contemporary songs, with some movement in the crowd, a little bit of movement, you know, and a little bit of hands up in the air and even a bit of jigging about here and there. And that's a choice. Yeah. At the same time, others have been worshipping our same God, our same Christ, stood in rows, unmoved, doing a little bit of toing and froing with a, a vicar. And potentially they've had a very profound spiritual experience. And it's blessed them and helped them. And I'm not here to say one's right and one's wrong. What I'm saying is you've to know why you are devoting yourself to where you are. Because wherever you are, you must put yourself in. Get your devotion in motion. And the reason you put yourself in is because you feel some affinity, some sense of connection and joining with the vision and values of a particular church family. So to be part of this community of faith... You've got to agree with the way that kings articulate the timeless truths of the Bible. The way we choose to practice them and outwork them and work the mission of the gospel. You've got to see it, involve in it and go, I love this. This is me. I fit. Yeah, I click with these people. These are my spiritual brothers and sisters. 
and you, 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 you put your devotion in motion around the shared values that you all sign up to, which is never a statement against another church. It's simply a statement for yours. See, when you devote yourself like that, I think you're given two things and two things are required of you. <clears throat> the first thing that you are given when you decide to put your devotion in motion in a chosen local church, you're given a conscious sense of identity. You're saying, these are my people. This is where I belong. This is my spiritual home. Now, I don't just mean a label. I mean more than that. <clears throat> I remember some years ago in Bradford, which, um, you know, we're a city of about half a million people, lots of churches, and we'd gone through a, a summer where churches in the city had all contributed to some evangelistic initiatives. And uh, it culminated in a big outreach event in the football ground in Bradford City's football ground, Valley Parade. Well, that can take, then it could take about 16,000 people. So the idea was to fill it, you know, with the Christians and some sinners and bring the sinners to Christ. And we'd got this big event planned. Well, I can remember going to this big event and sort of, it was weird. Because I've been to the football ground loads of times. But this time I'm going for a different reason. It's like, this is weird. Going to the city for church, it's weird. Anyway, we, we, as I'm walking in, what you find yourself doing is looking around at everybody else who's going in. And I'm thinking, hmm, most of these are other Christians in my city. But even though they're all my spiritual brothers in Christ... I'm looking for ones that I know. And I get in and we get in our seat in the stand and look across and, ah, I suddenly see someone from my church over there. And it's like, woo. Then I observe that people are doing that all over the place. And there's little clumps of sort of youth from a particular church here and another one there. And uh, we're kind of all trying to find our people amongst the people of God. Yeah, we're all saved. We're all in Christ, we're all His, but we're consciously identifying with those we've chosen to outwork this Christian life with. And what really rammed it home to me was that the people who had organized the event had been very clever. They'd made sure that all the leaders of every church represented did something. So it was politically correct, you might say. And the first guy that came up to just do his little contribution, it was tell a story or lead a prayer or, or something or other. <clears throat> As he comes up onto the stage, which was on the pitch, all his people cheered. He was like, yay, he's our man. Yeah, he's our pastor. He's our leader. Yay. Well, that set the pattern, didn't it? So for every single person that was invited up, you know, it was like, we can cheer louder than you. So we're all cheering for our person as they come up, and we didn't boo. We were all very respectful, <clears throat> but we could have done. You know, it could have been pantomime, couldn't it? What it did was, <coughs> it made me realize we've all made choices. We've all made choices to consciously, thanks, to consciously identify with other Christians in our city for some reason or other. What is that reason? I think the reason is methodologies, but mainly shared vision and values. 
It's, it's, it's forms of words. It's things that you do and go, it resonates and you go, yes, this is my home. These are my people. This is my tribe. I'm kings. Not in a way which makes you proud or excludes others, but it gives you a conscious sense of identity. You're not a floating, lonesome weirdo. No, you're part of a spiritual family. You're accountable. You've got people around you who are nurturing and growing you. You're contributing to a specific edge of advance of the kingdom of God in your city. I'm a king's person. I think being that comes from a decision to put your devotion into motion here. It gives you a conscious sense of identity. <clears throat> Second thing that that decision gives you is a clear purpose. Because every church has a defined purpose. If we get beyond the general spiritual principles, you know, the, the pur our purpose is to reach the world. Okay, that's really nice and it's true. How? It, it's got to come down to how are we doing it as a local church community. And you, so you would say, well, we're doing it through Jesus Cares. Uh, we're doing it through certain activities or events. We're doing it through personal evangelism. We're doing it through our stories booklet. We're doing it, you can name specific things. And as you begin to name those things, you realize I'm identifying with a purposeful advance of the mission, a purposeful direction of the church. Now, as <clears throat> looking through your website, I don't know how often you go on your own website. I find people don't go on their own websites generally. So I had a quick look through them this week. And there was a phrase on there that says, people are our heart and Jesus is our message. That's a great phrase. People are our heart. Jesus is our message. So to be part of of the purpose of this church, to identify with this church, I've got to be able to say that to myself and go, people are our heart. In other words, this church is not all about me. I'm not on a consumerism trip here. It's not, I'm going to go to the church that has the best children's work for my children. And then when they get, I want the church that's got the best youth club for my teenage kids. And then when I'm old, I want the best one that's got the best retirement village. <clears throat> or whatever. You know, it's, don't get consumeristic about it. No. People are our heart. By identifying here, putting your devotion in motion in here, you're saying, we're after people. We're going to love people. We're going to include people. We're going to reach people. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about those who are yet to be reached and so on. And Jesus is our message. Hmm. Surprising how many Christians don't have Jesus in their message. You know, buy my book, come to my conference, uh, come to my, our event, come to our church. We must remember to keep Jesus as the message. If you've got a high value on Jesus, which I hope you do, then you're probably going to come to King's Church. So if you love people and you love Jesus, this is a great place to be. It's a great place to get your devotion in motion and get stuck in here. <clears throat> so you understand what I'm saying? You, Putting your passion, your devotion into motion gives you some very positive things. Clear sense of belonging, conscious identity, purpose around all the different activities that you, you, you launch together. And you get this sense of, come on, this is a good thing. But it also places a couple of demands on me or requirements on us. 
to shared devotion also requires personal alignment. There's a, there's, a, <clears throat> there's a requirement placed on me just by what's preached and what's taught and by mixing with other people. There's this sense of get into line, come on, align. You know, don't, don't just say you love the church, do something about it, please, come on, get involved. And the, the, that demand comes upon me. Not an onerous demand. It's like Dave said when he gave the offering. Nobody's ever going to demand you do certain things. But you will feel from the atmosphere, from the fellowship, from the people, hey, these are the standards we do life by. No, we don't use that kind of language here. We use godly language. No, we don't, we don't put up with that attitude, actually, because that detracts from our unity. Come on, we're going to fix this. And in the fellowship, in the company, as we all put our devotion in individually, it, we have to make choices along the way to personally align. It's kind of a way of saying we've got to be what we've agreed to be. <clears throat> you might say, I love this church. Well, if you love it, you've got to agree to get involved in doing some things in it. Some years ago, when I was principal of the Leadership Academy at the, my home church in Brantford, um, <clears throat> every year I did an exercise with the students to help them connect with the, the vision statement of the church. So we had a form of words that's kind of said, this is the kind of church we are and the kind of church we're becoming. And because many of them had come from, were coming from away from Bradford, we wanted them to connect with that quite strongly. So I took the vision statement, which was a number of phrases, and I broke it down onto pieces of paper, stuck them in a hat, and I had each of the students pull one out of the hat, and they'd got to pull it out and offer on spontaneously then talk about what they'd pulled out of the hat. <clears throat> and each one was prefaced by the words, the church I see. So they'd pull out, the church I see is, and there'd be a, a word from our vision statement, or our mission statement. So it was things like, you know, the church I see is God-centered, or it's people-empowering, uh, it's purpose-driven, um, it's confident, it's victorious, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a family where the lonely and broken can find new hope and belonging. There are these phrases like that. So on this, on this occasion... We got a lady in the, in the group <clears throat> who'd come from Nepal. She was kind of in her mid-twenties. She had only been in the UK about a year. <clears throat> Lovely, sweet-spirited girl, but quite nervous, you know, quite sensitive. And so it's like the whole group knew this is going to freak her out. You know, having to sort of put something out and come and stand behind the lectern and talk to the group. But it was a learning exercise. So eventually, Bimla, she was called. She gets, it's her time. She comes up. She picks this out, reads it. And her face sort of went white, then gray, then <clears throat> finally came back to the right color. And the, the room was kind of rooting for her, wondering what she'd got. And she'd got, the church I see is confident. <laughs> She's like the least confident girl in the room. <clears throat> but that was part of our vision statement. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ should be confident. We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. And we, we aspire to become that kind of church. So she got that phrase. She paused a minute. 
and sort of saw the irony of it. And she said, well, the church I see is confident. I'm not, I'm not confident. I'm just not confident. But she said, I've had this thought. The church we see, right, the church is people, isn't it? So we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm one of those people, it's not the church I see is confident. It's got to be the Bimla I see is confident. And suddenly, it was like the room went, ooh, that's profound. Because she had worked out, if this vision is ever going to become reality, I've not just got to say the words, I've got to be it. I've got to be willing to be on a journey to become it. <clears throat> There's got to be a, you know, that sense of personal alignment, the need to get into line with the vision of what we're doing together was honor. Profound moment. I always remember it so strongly because it demonstrated, unless I can write my name into that vision statement, it is just words. The church I see has got to be the church I agree to be. So, you know, on your website it says, people are our heart, and Jesus is our message. I'd have to be able to read that as, people are Stephen's heart, and Jesus is Stephen's message. I've got to be able to write my name into it. Then I'm beginning to align. I'm identifying. I'm saying, come on, I'm in. I wonder where you need to personally align with the vision and the values of, of the church that you've made your home. So it places a demand on us. <clears throat> Fourthly and lastly, our shared devotion requires practical involvement. It requires practical involvement. I think if our stated devotion for this church... Or your home church, if this isn't your home church, has no practical, invo practical involvement, you've got to ask yourself why. Because <clears throat> people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus put their devotion into motion and they get stuck in somewhere. They start to do some stuff. So as Dave encouraged us earlier, they do give their time or the money or their skills. They do get involved in a connect group. <clears throat> they want to be here on a Sunday and they get involved. And yeah, they, they, they get involved in the worship. They don't just spectate it, they get involved in it. When the, when the word's been opened, they get involved in what's being said and they respond and they engage with it. There's this sense of, come on, get involved. They open their homes, they serve one another. They read their Bibles, they bathe all they do in prayer. They just get involved. Their love for Jesus and his church and this expression of it is seen in action. Now, Jesus commissioned us just before he went to heaven with a great commission to take the gospel to all the nations. It was him effectively saying, come on, guys, you're it now. You are the delivery agents for my message to every generation that comes next. You're, you're the ones who are here to model the Jesus way, live the Jesus life, offer hope for mankind. And I've come to the conclusion our success at all and every level demands simply, I devote myself. I don't believe churches grow because of their leaders. 
I don't believe they thrive because of their programs or events. I don't think they get a sudden boost of momentum because they paint the walls or get some new chairs or have a new zippy website. Churches are spiritual organizations. Spiritual family. And we thrive when every single one of us says, I'm going to devote myself. And I'm going to get my devotion into motion. And if that means I have to make some hard choices and align in some ways that I hadn't been aligning, I'm going to do it. If I've been a consumer for too long, I'm going to get involved. Come on, where can I help? Where can I serve? What can I do? What can I do to help move this awesome church forward and play my part? Get your devotion into motion. Those are the things that grow great church and reach the community. People whose devotion is in motion, they have a conscious identity. They do have a clear purpose. They've got some clear vision and values to align with. And they have a place to be practically involved. I wonder, do you personally have a conscious sense of identity? Are you able to say, this is my home. This is my tribe. These are my people. Thank you, Jesus, for these awesome people. Do you have a clear sense of of purpose? Have you got a clear sense of these are the vision and the values that we work with together? Is there a sense of which, yeah, I am part of making this church happen? If you do, you are part of the success of this church. If you don't, or if it's in process somewhere, that's fine. Just keep on the journey. And let what I'm sharing today be a provocation to you. Let it be just the Holy Spirit saying, come on. Let's direct our devotion a little bit. I know you love me. I know you're saved. I know that you love what the church means and is. But you've maybe had some bad experiences. Well, let's deal with that and come on, put yourself back in. Let's not be a float around the fringe. Let's not be a consumer. Let's get back into the heart of what we're doing and building together. I honestly believe if every single one of us put our devotion into motion (laughs) and and identified with one another around clear purpose and values, aligned and got involved, man, we would change the world. We really would. Those of you who maybe looked at church growth and stuff will know there is a, there's a thing called the 80-20 principle, <clears throat> which often churches are charged with in a negative way. It's that people basically say, yeah, 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 80% of the work's been done by the 20% of the people. So you've got 80% who are like passengers, just come, turn up, be there. But 20% are 100% fully committed, and it's their energy that's actually the momentum and the drive. I hate that. It's just wrong. And I know psychologists and you know, statisticians and all these that have come up with those numbers, but it's wrong. When you look at the New Testament, we're all in. We're all in. If Jesus died for your sins and you said, thank you, Lord, I'm yours, you're in. <clears throat> your task is simply then to work out where am I in? Who am I in with? And where's the best place for me to thrive in a local church community? And there's a good chance, if you've got a bum on a seat here today, you've said, this is the place. 
How do I encourage you? Get stuck in. Put your devotion into motion. Talk about it. Talk to Dave or Faye or one of the leaders. Talk to each other over lunch today. Have a conversation about where's your devotion in motion? Where's your love for Jesus in motion? Where's your love for the church in motion? Where's your love for the mission in motion? And let it be something that just provokes you to come into line, make great choices, and be part of the future. Because the future is to reach this community in ways that it's never been reached before. Because the lost are hurting and waiting to be called home. And nobody's going to call them unless we're willing. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. We're going to pray. Stand with me. <clears throat> I think it's good for you to stand. Shake your legs. Reposition yourself. <clears throat> now just close your eyes and bow your head. Father, as we have all just stood, as if we're standing to attention, standing ready to go, standing to be available, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir our individual love for you in new and meaningful ways. Lord, we're all so mindful of where we've blown it and where we've not read our Bible enough and not prayed enough and we can beat ourselves up, but Lord, in this moment, we say to you, thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you with all our heart. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for taking us on a journey to wholeness. Now, in response to that, we say to you, we will be active with our love. Our love for you won't be passive. It'll be active we're going to put it into motion. Please help each of us, Lord, to know where to do it, how to apply it, who to talk to, so that it can be written of us like it was written of that early church, that the Lord added daily those who were being saved, that the impact of their lives turned their world upside down. Help us, Jesus, to be your people in this place for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Wasn't that a fantastic word? Absolutely. Let's thank Steve again this morning. You may be seated for a few moments. And, um, you know, that was a wonderful word for us as a church here today. And I was just thinking, you know, when, when Steve was sharing that, and I've, I've said this a number of times um, over the last few years, but <clears throat> I remember when I first came to the church here, and uh, it was over 20 years ago. And uh, remember coming down the, the street, I'd been to a number of night services, and I was so excited just to come into this place. And I was coming on a, on a, on a, on a Friday night, and I really wanted to, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Now I know it was, I wanted to devote myself to what was happening in this house. I wanted, like Steve has wonderfully said this morning, to really lean in and put all of my strength, all of the strength of my life into this place. But you know what? I was afraid. 
And it, I, I tell you what, it makes me emotional even now, right? I was afraid because I thought that, that people, I was so wrong, but I really did think that people would reject me in this place. I was insecure. I was carrying so many things, you know, in, in my life and in my mind. And uh, I always remember, I say it time and time again, Dale was the first person that met me. It wasn't an elder brother. It was a man with a father's heart, right? And uh, there's no elder brothers in this place. And he, do you know what? He was so excited to see me. He took me under his wing and uh, he showed me how I could get devoted. He showed me, took me on a journey, James and Sal as well, you know, took me under their wing, showed me how I could devote my life into, into various works within the church and it was such a wonderful blessing. And then others came. But even, do you know what? Even a year into being in this church, I still felt really new. I still felt really kind of, you know, in some senses exposed. And I was still, you know, my, my roots weren't very deep. And even two years in, I still felt it was quite, you know, a new environment to be in and a new home and still getting to know people. And I say all of that to say this, because maybe some of you today, you've heard Steve and you've thought, do you know what? I really do want to put the strength of my life into an aspect of service in this house. You consider it to be your home. You consider it to be a place where you want to, you know, lay down your roots but still, it's a relatively new place. And like me, you may be a little bit afraid to go to a connect group. You may be a little bit afraid to, you know, like, like offer your, 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 your services or your skills in an area in the church. Well, listen, what I want to say today, off the back of what Steve has so greatly said, is come and see me. Come and see Faye. Come and see, like Steve said, go to the connection point at the back. Because there are people here today that really want to support you in your desire to devote yourself. I'm not going to do a big appeal and we're going to get you to write something on a form. That's good. And like, like Steve's, you know, like Faye said, it's, it's good that we have structured ways in which we can, you know, um, contact you. But also, there's a, there's a wonderful wonderful sense of life whereby you just devote yourself and come and see us you know come and see me your friend who you've come with and let's let's have a conversation about how your life can thrive in the house of God we don't want it to just thrive and be used in the world in which we live we want it to be fruitful and and, and a thriving thing in God's house is that okay so you may be here and you, you may feel again like I did, but please, please hear this message today as, as it's been said, as it's been spoken. We want your life to thrive and we want this to be a blessed place so that you can unpack all of the gifts and all of the talents that God has given uniquely to you. All right? Right now, I'm just going to... just. Let, let's just close our eyes again. There may be somebody here today and you may say, well, Dave, I've listened to Steve and the first step for me is to actually devote my life to Jesus. I want to I get to know him. 
And uh, you may have come in here, a friend may have brought you, and you may never have asked Jesus into your life. Do you know the greatest gift, the greatest gift is, is awaiting you in this next moment whereby you just cry to him, you pray a simple prayer with me, I'm going to help you. You open your heart and Jesus is going to be your savior. He's going to come and he's going to step into your heart as you open your life to him. Maybe you're going to do that right now with me. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just pray this prayer with me. Very simple. Say this quietly in your heart. Say, Jesus, I want to devote my life to you. I open my heart. I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin, to be my savior, be the end of my search. Help me with this emptiness inside. Give me peace. I ask this right now. Amen. If you...